Welcome back to the Women's Cycling Weekly Podcast. As usual, I'm Amy Jones and with me is Tilda Price. Tilda, welcome to the pod again. How are you doing? How's your week been? I'm good, thank you. I've just come back from Belgium because, you know, I'm a cool Belgophile, our new favourite word. So, <laughs> yeah, it was very cold and I've only just recovered. So, yeah, my week is going well, thank you. How are you? Excellent. Um, I had a... My tonsillitis made a comeback. Just everyone so loves to hear about this, I'm sure. But my ongoing immune system failure continues. But we're all good. I'm on different antibiotics. But yeah, it's been cold in Girona. It snowed the other day. Oh. Unheard of. It was not unheard Crazy. of, but it wasn't great. Anyway, and we loved having a guest so much last week that we've got another one. So welcome, Savio Shay, to the podcast. How are you? Hello, uh, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm really happy to be on the podcast. I've been an avid listener, a uh, long-time listener, first-time caller, as they say. <laughs> yeah, it's I good. feel like I'm on Radio 1. <laughs> I, think I'm, I think I'm the oldest one here. No, you're like 25, come on. Yeah, okay, I'll take that. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> Amy, Amy's but, like nearly 30, so you know. God. <laughs> Actually, I've got another year of my 20s. Thank you. I'm very much not in my 20s anymore but anyway (laughs) but what that does mean though is that you've got a lot of experience in this industry and in cycling right so you've been how long have you been um this year it will be 11 years so it'll be actually it'll be 11 years next month um since I started because I have a very clear memory of the day that I moved to England and started my career as a cycling journalist oh and you had a little stint at the BBC in between that as well didn't you so I have to yeah yeah I got got a little bit of burnout so I decided to take a break and do some local news and stuff um right when the COVID pandemic started so that was excellent um so yeah I did that for a little bit and then cycling is like the Hotel California like it you know you can check out but you can never leave like it's always just pulling you back in so yeah I couldn't uh I couldn't stay away for too long so yeah it's been two years now since I've been back which is nice like um and I've been doing more women's coverage than ever since I've been back which has been like incredible yeah and it's been great coverage and yeah the cycling journalism landscape is much better off for having you back well, so you <laughs> <laughs> I'm just taking the compliments uh, <laughs> it's not just in my nature to but I'm trying on. As the incentive is, we will just shower you with compliments and be self-deprecating <laughs> about ourselves. <clears throat> yeah. That's um, <laughs> right, well, we've got a lot of racing to get stuck into this week. Um, so before we get on to dissecting opening weekend, though, let me just quickly whiz through the week's news. Um, first up, we'll go for the most recent one. Um, the Vuelta Feminina route has finally been fully announced. In, even though it starts in just over two months time um on Tuesday evening in a presentation in Torre Vieja um which will host the first stage uh, a team time trial as well actually there's some pretty challenging and varied stages in there um there's a finish on the final stage at the top of the 
Lagos de Covadonga climb. I hope I've said that right. I am meant to be able to speak Spanish. The stages are still quite short. Um, and Saive actually delved into whether or not this constitutes a grand tour in a piece today. But it's still a big improvement on previous editions, I suppose. But yeah, quickly, we don't really have time to fully dive into it, but Saive, I'd like to hear like briefly what your thoughts were on that. Although people can read about them on Belly News, yeah. just so you know. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's definitely the best route that they've delivered so far. Um, I think that in like previous editions, yeah, they were the they didn't really kind of I would say honor the peloton like particularly hmm. well. You know, they were they were a bit of an afterthought, and it was really nice that they were like building the 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 days, and that was great. But the actual content of the stages like really wasn't there. You know, like last year, um, like say I I kind of did some did some calculations, um, and like analyzed the average length of each like each stage in each year and last year it was like average stage was like less than 100k which is like yeah I mean there's nothing it's, it's 20 yeah it's 2022 you know like the women's peloton was like so deep last year that like it deserves something more challenging and longer and I think that this year's race while it I don't think it constitutes a grand tour yet by any stretch um is a far better offering and that Lagos de Con Lagos de Covadonga finish, I think, would be pretty epic. Just for the scenery as well. Like it's an amazing place. I've been up there at least once, maybe twice, and it's like it's stunning. So like to have that backdrop for like the final stage would be incredible. Yeah, I think it's really good to see big climbs like this being used in in women's races. But I mean we can dive into what what a grand tour even means on the women's side and all that but let's not get into that today but yeah it's, it's an interesting route and it's at least an improvement on previous things although previous races um although maybe we expected a little bit more we can expect a little more these days anyway uh next after recently undergoing surgery to correct an iliac artery problem, Marina Voss posted an Instagram story showing that she's back on her bike and training in Tenerife, uh, which is great to see. Quite a quick turnaround, actually, after the surgery for her to be already training again. But hopefully that means we'll see her back in some races sooner rather than later. Elsewhere, um, just wanted to mention this because she is quite a legend. Um, Ellen Van Loy announced her retirement at the age of 42. Uh, she quite literally hung up her wheels at like her, her bike on uh, a podium. She only started her career when she was 28 years old and she actually combined racing with full-time work as a carer for adults with Down syndrome, dementia and autism, which is really admirable. So she never really had any massive results, but she was a real legend of the cyclocross scene. So congrats to her on her retirement and all the best. And finally, in sort of cyclocross related news, former guest of the podcast, Puck Peters, will race Strada Bianchi this Saturday with her team. Well, it's not usually her team, actually. Phoenix de Koenig, the uh, women's world tour team. So more on that later, actually, when we discuss the race, we won't get into that just yet, but that's... I'm really excited about that. Me too. Yeah, me too. I think she's uh, she's an exciting rider, and we're not going to get to see her much on the road. So it's nice to kind of get those get those moments when we can. 
Yeah, and she raced. No, I'm just about to dive into it. I just said we're not going to dive into it. We'll do that later. <laughs> okay, uh, shall we talk about opening weekend? Yeah. Yes. I, I hardly watched any of it, but I've still got a lot of opinions. What do you mean you were there? Yeah, and it's insane how little you see of anything when you're there. It's very sad, especially no, with them so being. True. It is difficult them being like at the same time. Um, but yeah. I'm going to get torn apart for my predictions, so I'm just here to defend myself, really. <laughs> Something amazing turned up today for this podcast to defend <laughs> yourself from last week at the request of Dan. <laughs> but yeah, I guess with you being on the ground then, have you managed to catch up? Have you got any kind of rundown for us? Not to put you on the spot, we didn't discuss this before, but that's what no, you... I don't. You don't? Okay. We don't need to do it. We don't... We only got, what was it, 28, 29 kilometers of coverage so there isn't even that much to go through from what we could actually see of the race yeah I was it was pretty poor actually I'm quite complimentary about Flanders classics normally but I was pretty disappointed to see like less than 30k of the race like you know with with this day and age and like streaming sites and stuff you know it's easy to watch two races at once and I think it would have been great to have more of the race uh, available yeah absolutely I think it's a difficult one I suppose because it's kind of there's this thing of like you know when the women's race starts after the men's and finishes just after it gives an opportunity for fans at the actual roadside to see both races which gives more exposure to the women's race like and they see the finish like it worked really well with um Tour of Flanders last year but then it also means that unless they have, Tilda, you know more about the technicalities of this, I think, but unless they have multiple planes in the air for the broadcast, that they can't show both races simultaneously. Yeah, that is my impression. There is something about that. Um, and, and maybe there is a belief that if you put the women's race on whilst the men's race was on, people wouldn't watch it. But I think that's just not true. I mean, like you say, plenty of people watch two races at the same time anyway. And there are plenty of people that are women cycling fans that would watch it and I think it is obviously an improvement on you know I remember the first few times when I was first getting into cycling watching Flanders the only bit of the women's race you get to see was like a little bit split screened in whilst you still watch the men's so it is an improvement on that but these races we like them because it's like a story of the whole race and stuff goes on all throughout classics it's not like a stage race where the end is usually the more important part and so yeah it would be good to have a lot more and it is also good to note that this is the first year they were world tour and they didn't meet 45 minutes of race footage i know technically 45 minutes applies to broadcast but the actual race was 42 minutes of images so that is not great for the first year um in that level and it's not like Flanders Classics don't have experience with showing the men's and the women's races at the same time. I mean, so let me say they did that with uh, the Women's Tour of Flanders and we were able to watch, you know, prior to, the, you know, the, the men's race ending, we were able to watch that race. And, you know, it, it was Brabancy Pale last year, I think, was like, they had something like 80 kilometres of the women's race and that bled into the coverage of the men's race. You know, Brabantia Pale's not like it's a midweek classic. It's one of the smaller races kind of in their repertoire. So to have Omloop in its, like you say, in its first year of being World Tour, 
and having that little coverage um was a bit disappointing and they made a big thing of the you know equal prize money but actually television coverage is far more important than prize money in terms of developing the women's sport because prize money just goes to the top few riders whereas the broadcast helps the whole peloton really especially if you've got a longer broadcast and you actually get to see the attacks and stuff that's so interesting that they kind of seem to have been valuing the prize money over this coverage too because that's the opposite of what um thomas van den spiegel the ceo was saying a few years ago when there was that big uproar about anna van der breggen getting like 900 euros when davide ballerini got i think it was like I should know this. I wrote about it literally. It was like fifteen thousand or something. Uh, it was a lot more, yeah. Yeah. Um, and his kind of argument was, well, we're actually focusing on other things to grow our races, including live coverage, and that's more important. So, hopefully, hopefully they'll fix that for the next time. But yeah, like you say, it's it's weird that races that are also owned by them to, seem to be able to put on more coverage, including. Is Les Sam in a Flanders Classics race? I know oh, it's not, is it? No, no it's no. not the Belgian Cup. But yeah, that was quite quite a disappointment, especially because there's so much anticipation around this race. And, you know, it being the curtain raiser of the, the season proper, depending who you talk to. But yeah, so, well, of the racing we actually did get to see then, what did we think? I think Movistar are the best team in the peloton. And so Rachel was completely right with her prediction. I think it's ah. such a shame that they, um, that Anna Meek had a puncture when she did because it was insane the way they dominated that. Um, we were watching it on a screen with Belgian commentary, so I wasn't fully sure what was going on. But um, <laughs> yeah, there's the so many language, riders. Is it? <laughs> yes, the Belgian language. Are you not familiar? Um, <laughs> So yeah, I was kind of making out little bits, but um, it was a real show of of domination. And uh, I think on paper their team is kind of as as strong as an SD Works type team in that peloton. And yeah, it was kind of a masterclass on how you use that strength, like how you actually put that into practice and dominate a group. So yeah, that was kind of my biggest. <clears throat> takeaway was 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 that performance and it's a shame that it, it didn't really pull off to anything in the end but I think it's good to not forget that because it's easy to like remember the winner and what happens in the end but that was what was really standing out to me at the time yeah it's quite impressive how like much they've stepped up and obviously they've got like two kind of quite major new signings um for this year in like Liana Lippert and Flotty Mackay but you know, it wasn't just them that helped make the race. You know, it was other riders who were pre-existing on that team. Um, and yeah, Elena Sierra is kind of continuing to kind of really become this quite very strong rider. And you know, I guess she was sort of maybe pigeonholed as being just a sprinter with her um, Trofeo Alfredo Binder podium, like way back when. But she's definitely becoming a lot more than that. Um, but yeah, and the SD works obviously then really dominated in that finish um and it was like a it was a hugely impressive ride from Kopecky but actually I was almost more impressed by Vivas's ride going up the Mur and like hanging on in that 
in that group um, when it was like properly exploding behind Kopecky. Yeah, that was a great ride from her. And uh, Tilda, <laughs> can I just remind you of something that you said on last week? This is not a direct quote. I can see this. This is not a direct quote. I'm it literally it. is a direct quote. I typed it as I was listening to oh. those words come out of your mouth. Last week, when we were talking predictions, Tilda said, and I quote, Lorena Weavers is not going to be in the picture at Newsblood, and I don't even know why she's starting. They're not sending a team that can hold the race together. Did they hold the race together? Well, what about the first part? Let's go back to that. (laughs) They were two separate quotes. Yeah, Yeah, okay. Look, you can't be right all the time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But you know what, like, I think that was a big test for Weavers to prove where she's at on her kind of climbing level in terms of classic type climbs. And um, I was on the wrong side of the fence. But I don't like, I think that that was like a standout classics performance from her. I don't think that she's really done something comparable, maybe in something like Simactor last year, but that's not really the same as Omloop. Um, so I do think that was kind of like, the moment where she was like yeah I can do this so I don't feel that stupid that I was wrong about that because if she had just been dropped then you know but she's clearly climbing really well um but I do stand by the fact that SD works and they clearly didn't go into that race with the strategy of holding it together for Bebus I don't think because otherwise they Kopecky wouldn't have attacked because she was no, still I think there. they were they were all in for Kopecky, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also, side note, I know I predicted Demi Vollering, but in our predictions game with my dad and my sister, I predicted Kopecky, so I'm actually just correct on every level. Yeah, but <laughs> that was not on the record, was right. it? That was not on the record. So yeah, you know, I got it wrong there. But I'm glad to be wrong because it means that I think we're going to have a lot of exciting things coming up. And if the riders know that this is the kind of form and ability that Vibus is in, it kind of throws a cat amongst the pigeons in terms of tactics and how you approach the race and teams will have to be a lot more explosive because they can't, if she's in the group, you can't hold it together for a, a finish with her there because she'll win. So I think I think actually uh, we may be blessed with some more exciting racing because of this development. I don't know if this is like maybe a bit of a lazy conclusion to draw, but do we think that like her focusing on being able to climb better in races like this and become more of an all-rounder slash classics rider is taking away from her top end speed? And that's maybe why we saw her lose to Cool in the UAE it, tour? Or is it a bit early for that? I mean, I think it's maybe a bit early to like completely say that that's the case but it is highly possible I mean you've seen it before certainly over on the men's side when like teams tried to make Mark Cavendish climb better um and then that took away from his top end speeds like you can't have both I mean uh yeah Balsamo said said to me like in over the winter at the trek training camp that you know she didn't want to work too much on her climbing because that would take away from her ability to to sprint um, which I guess is key for her road racing and her track riding. Um, and so, yeah, I think you can't have, you can't improve climbing without losing 
top end speed. Um, so, but whether or not that was what was happening with Vibis, I don't know if we can say yet. Yeah, I guess time time will tell when it comes to that. And she's clearly still very fast. So, yeah. um, what else was going on in this race? I was really impressed with the work that I've been impressed actually across all three of these races that we're going to talk about um, with UAE. Uh, they they did a lot of work trying to get. They were pretty much one of the only teams that would make an, any kind of concerted effort to bring to try and bring Kapeki back. And I just want to shout out because we've got uh, what do you what do you say? What are Manx? Manx, yeah. Well, I'm Manx and Irish, but yeah, Manx. <laughs> well, we've got Manx on the podcast, and Lizzie Holden. I was super impressed with with her over these last few races. Yeah, she's had um, she had some really great days, and I think particularly in Les Amines, she was having a like a really good day, and it's nice to see her stepping up because I know she had some challenges over the winter with getting a, a team and her first team didn't work out um so yeah it's nice to see that she sort of slotted into UAE and um it's yeah I'm excited to see what she can do throughout this season yeah she seems to be really thriving on that team actually and it's the first time in the world tour as well which is um really Surprising. great for her yeah yeah it is yeah because she's been around for a while doing some well, um been riding really impressively um but yeah Bastianelli repaid that as well with a third place uh and she's sprinting well she always is fast yeah. but she's had some really good some really good rides over the last few days so yeah she's been on every step of the podium so <laughs> in the last few days <clears throat> that's not bad is it <laughs> Did something happen with um, Bastianelli in the sprint or in the run-in? Because there was a, this is your on-the-ground insight, there was a bit of a, I don't know, icy interaction between her and some of the SD Works riders at the finish. She seemed annoyed about something. Ooh, drama. I didn't see what happened. I imagine they were probably trying to hamper the chase. Mm, mm. So she it's... may have been frustrated at that. It's a shame as well because I tried to then watch back the sprint, but you only get to see obviously the finish because... Kapeki was just finishing so yeah she did seem a little bit disappointed with that yeah it was great to see Bastianelli kind of take the Simone by the horns um and go on the attack as well and not just wait on on a sprint um I guess you know they had the comfort of um Consoni in the group as well so they could kind of afford to sacrifice her a little bit but yeah, that was a, a hugely impressive ride. Uh, yeah, she's kind of seems to be trying to go out in a, in a blaze of glory this year. Yeah, definitely. And that team as well has got a lot of options, actually, this year. In fact, I'd say like this year we can see a lot more races are much more open because a lot of the teams have got multiple options. Like there's a lot more depth, I think. Yeah, I mean, like DSM with... They started Charlotte Cool, but it ended up being Pfeiffer Georgie, who was more in the picture, which, as you've put in our little notes, was very impressive. Um, we don't usually get to see her on that kind of uh, in that kind of role, I guess, because she's often <clears> in the sprint train. But she is a really good one day rider. Obviously, she won um, nationals on a pretty tough course. Um, so I would like to see more of her 
in that kind of role because she's got a fast kick obviously being a lead out rider but she can get over the the hilly bits pretty well yeah I mean she's clearly in very good shape because she was basically the only person that could even try and get near Kopecky once she attacked on the moon which is yeah really impressive okay do we have anything else to say about Omni Petney's blog before we move on to Hagelon any other business Tilda any what what would you describe in one word how was your experience on the ground watching this race and don't say cold <laughs> freezing <laughs> <laughs> um um one word Tilda making excellent uh, memories uh, from Belgium intriguing it's Ooh. always it's funny because it is the curtain raiser and I see it as like the real start of the season but also it's like the beginning of the story not the end <laughs> that was very poetic but yeah wow. it kind of starts off the narratives and you start thinking who's doing what who's climbing well who's sprinting well and now we've got like nearly two months for that to kind of all develop um so I'm excited to see kind of where it all goes and and how the reflections that we have now what they start looking like by the time you get to Roubaix yeah no very true um okay well so the next day the men's peloton went off to Kona and I'm outing Tilda here because she also did that she watched a men's race on Sunday that is only a men's race what do you have to say for yourself about that um <laughs> no it's <laughs> I'm in the docks today aren't I Jesus <laughs> explain yourself I was actually there doing a service to this podcast looking out for certain riders in the peloton that were getting lost in Belgian cars so you know the, yeah weren't actually in the race by the time it got to you and <laughs> never actually fact, saw him again but you know, in in a random Belgian family's car <laughs> and I'm not explaining that any further <laughs> or who it is you can guess <laughs> anyway while all that was going on we had Omloop Hagland for the women and we had way more of the race to see did we both did you guys both watch it? Actually, I think Simon. I think you saw. I saw that you weren't. Watching yeah, it. I was at I was at my uh, niece's birthday party uh, on Sunday. So, yeah, watching the cycling was, yeah, not really on the cards. But I did watch it on Monday. Somebody sent me a link to um, YouTube where it was because for some reason it hasn't been. I don't know why there's obviously some backroom deal that hasn't happened or whatever that it's not yet been picked up by like. GCN or Eurosport or one of those um so but it was still available on YouTube and I think is still available on YouTube yeah. and it was like 80 90 it was an insane amount of racing like it was great so it kind of was the soundtrack to my Monday morning which was really nice and um yeah it was it was a great race like I think Omloop van Hageland is sort of underrated as a race but it's always like properly exciting you know and the cobble sectors are like narrow and like crappy and stuff and it like yeah it's, it's great I definitely agree with the underrated thing and it's really a shame that sometimes people talk about opening weekend and it's like Kerner and then Omloop for both men and women and it's like there is a fourth race you know on Sunday and it yeah I almost wish I had like a better slot like like Ronda van Drenthe has um but yeah I thought I caught up on some of it watched some of it it looked 
really good you know what I like seeing is is uh in races because Omnipair is often a sprint right but that doesn't mean that they race it like oh it's just going to conclude as a sprint and there was lots of attacking and aggression and you didn't really know how it was going to go necessarily so yeah that was a good one it's always a small group though it's never it's never been like a massive mm. bunch sprint and I didn't think there was any kind of guarantee that like Rebus was even going to make it into like the select group I was quite impressed with how she rode and like she wasn't just kind of sitting on wheels um like her team's wheels she was marking other people and bringing people back and sitting in the wind like on occasions which I think you kind of have to do on a race like that it's not like a normal sprint stage where you can sort of hide away in the peloton and kind of keep your powder dry all day like it's a it's a race that you've kind of got to like go at it to to get it and so she put in quite a I think quite a tactically astute race yeah definitely and yeah going back to what you said about it being a really tough aggressive race as well there were only 61 finishers and I think that's definitely an indication of how tough this race was I was also really impressed so we had AG and what are they called these days AG and AG um it was their development team at this race but they were super active um and yeah I was really impressed with with how they rode actually they had riders in the break um they were riding well as a team so yeah shout out to them yeah the other the start list was yeah not as studied as obviously world tour omloop but it didn't really feel that way in terms of the quality of the racing um and it was also good to see uh the the world tour teams like starting different riders obviously you had a bit of a change out for um sd works which was yeah good to see just other riders um getting the chance and i'm glad to see that ag are taking the opportunity to start their development team instead of the main team when they can i think that's what these races are really good for as well like and i think with with the proper introduction of development teams i think it's nice to yeah these races will become increasingly important for for that aspect of of women cycling and giving you know younger riders an opportunity to, to race against people like Marta Bastinelli and Lorena Rebus. Yeah, I think that's what the women's side of the sport needs more of. Because we always talk about how new races come along or races that have been slowly growing and they always want to be world tour. There's so many world tour races, but there's very few races that are like this one where it's still televised, it's run really really well, but it it's allows the opportunities for developing riders to have that and it's not you know a full world tour field so they're not completely getting their heads kicked in and getting disillusioned with it all uh puck peters claxon we can't not talk about her she it was a first pro road race i think pretty much ever like she doesn't really race on the road and she crushed it yeah she was incredible like she i like i could see her kind of up near the front as well like marking a lot of moves from like quite late into the race and she finished a little bit back I think it was like 30 or 40 yeah, seconds she actually crashed oh did she oh okay yeah. I didn't see that 
but like up until that point she was riding an like an incredible race for like someone so young and to you know come out of cyclocross which is obviously got these explosive efforts that help you in, in the classics but the effort is so much shorter than you know full road race and so it's really impressive to kind of see her transfer her skills over yeah and it's not always a given either you know you you think oh well someone who races cyclocross and mountain bike they're going to have the skill to to ride a race like this really well and position themselves in the bunch really well but it doesn't always translate to the road uh so it's really good to see that she was clearly thriving um but she she's just like that she just gets stuck in doesn't she it's great um anyway, that... yeah exactly exactly um anyway that's enough that's enough puck loving um before people say we're biased although i very obviously um um alison jackson and ariana fadanza were in a break for quite a while together which was was kind of touch and go so whether they might make it to the finish for a little bit what do we think about that and the fact that they didn't seem to be working that well together there was a little bit of beef between them at one point did we see that <laughs> I did, I'm, I'm not sure of the beef, but yeah, they, like they, it kind of seems to be two riders in individual, like an individual breakaway. Like they were both having their own sort of race. And yeah, Fidanza sort of distanced Jackson a few times um, over the, like the little kind of climbs that were there. Um, but yeah, it would have been, yeah, it would have been nice to see. I, I'm always a, a proponent of like the breakaway getting to the finish. Um, but yeah, so it would have been nice to see it happen. Um, but yeah, the I think the peloton was never gonna, never gonna let it happen. No, especially with SD Works on the prowl, which yeah is obviously what happened. They brought the race back together, and Weebiz went and did what she does and sprinted to the win. Pretty emphatic start to the classics. Yeah, they've pretty they've stamped them up pretty well. Personally, yeah. was. Second and third was I literally got the results. Audrey here. called on Rago. Yes. Ah. Yes. That is interesting. Yeah. For a sprint. I mean, yeah. Not she's usually been going known. well. Like, she's been on fire this start of the season. You would never guess that she like had a stroke and was like didn't have a team <laughs> over the winter. She probably had like the worst winter you could ever have. And she started the started the year maybe one of the best she ever has it's it's crazy really i think she called it i think i saw it on social media she called it like the, the best start to a season she's ever had mm. like yeah it's been it's been impressive and really nice like considering you know the stuff that was thrown at her uh, at the end of last year with the stroke and then bnb hotels truly um yeah uh i'm trying to think of a polite way to say it <laughs> anything goes on this podcast yeah tr truly fucking over the riders yeah, like, yeah. Uh, particularly the women's team I think the yeah the like they were really screwed over there we go that's a slightly less uh <laughs> colorful way of saying it um but yeah she's it just goes to show how professional she is and how good of a rider she is yeah, you get the sense too that this that's kind of given her more fire in her belly to 
to kind of prove her place in the peloton as well so yeah great to see her also just mention want to mention that um fourth place was ariana fidanza who spent as long as she did in the break attacking all of that and then went and sprinted to fourth which is really impressive and the next day rode really well again but we'll get on to that in a sec anything else to say about this race before we do move on to lissamin um maybe just following on from audrey kudora going the, the zaf team has been pretty um pretty strong this year so far and i'm just like intrigued to see how they um kind of develop over the year um i feel like they could be in with a shout of at least kind of getting into the kind of ranking slots kind of, that would see them getting guaranteed entries into or almost guaranteed entries into nearly every race um okay so finally we've got less which happened as we record yesterday so it's all fresh in our brains which is how i like it because i usually forget what's happening in the race the second it finishes um bastianelli won so she turned her third and then second place into a win uh tilda you're a huge fan or you're a fan shall we say we were talking about this yesterday i am a bastianelli fan i don't know she's a bit like She's such a strange figure because she, she, I think she has a reputation for being a bit aggressive in the peloton, and she certainly is a pretty like bold sprinter. And I've, you know, we've all seen her do some pretty mad things in sprints sometimes. But I am just obsessed with like her energy. She's such like, well, she is a mum, and she just treats you like your her mum, uh, and it's it's, I just love it. Like I remember interviewing it's- her. And the best thing as well we were saying is that she uh, she has not improved her English and she just she just she has so much care. confidence. I remember like speaking to her at I think this was Ride London. She was like holding onto my arm the whole time as if she was <laughs> like a little grandma, giving me these answers that really made no sense, but with a smile and with confidence and passion. And I was like, Oh, I just love you. So That's all you need. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't it doesn't need to be perfect. So yeah, I was I was happy to see her win. Um and it did make me think I really will miss her in the Peloton. She's been such a like a stalwart. She's been around forever and ever. And is still going really well, obviously, taking wins. So it will be weird to see her not around, but I'm glad that she's not kind of just fizzling out um into ret- retirement. She's actually still, you know, got the the passion to win and is pulling that off. Yeah, she yeah. like she's a, a top top rider, and I don't, I don't think she quite has like the same consistency she she used to. But like she's still, particularly in these like early season races. I think last year it was kind of pretty similar that like the start of the season was sort of her domain where she really showed herself, I guess. Um, and yeah, it'll be it'll be weird to see her not in the peloton. Is it yeah, the Jura well, that she's stepping away from? I think that is the yeah. plan. Yeah, yeah she's going to get half a season it. from her. Sad. Tilda, what are you going to do? <laughs> no, I, what I think is really impressive is how she's managed to have been around for so long throughout the growth of the sport. And, the, you know, there's been some riders that have kind of been phased out almost because they would have been able to dominate back in the day before there was as much depth as there is now. But she's managed to keep bettering herself and keep keep up, basically, with all these 
young upstarts coming through. So I think that's really cool. And what about Uno X actually getting on the podium of a race? This is not something we see often. I think we were maybe being a little bit disparaging about them in the group (laughs) chat yesterday. It won't, you know. But, you know, I really have a lot of respect for them as a team. And I think things like uh, how they've been treating Eleanor Barker and Josh Loudon, and they really have a good ethos. And I kind of believe in what they're doing, but it has not translated into results very often. So it was really good to see them um, get a result there. It's a shame that we're not seeing them at Strada Bianchi as well, because it seems like they're kind of on a run, but they're staying in Belgium for a couple more races. So hopefully it, it may be actually that races like Le Samine and GP uh, uh, Ottingen, whatever it's called, are actually a better place for them to use their resources because they're not quite at the top world tour level, despite being a world tour team. So yeah, I'm kind of glad to see them giving it a go in these smaller races and I hope that it kind of continues and we might see them take a UCI win this year. I think they're kind of in the same space as human powered health and they're trying to hoover up these like smaller races and get get the points there where there's less competition which kind of seems um, a bit upended when you're trying to get a place in the top tier but I think um, Maria Giulia Confalnieri was probably actually the person who made that break stay away. Like she turned herself inside out, probably knowing that, you know, Bastianelli was just going to steamroller her once they got to like the last couple of hundred meters. But getting like a podium for that team was more important or like as important as like getting the win. Um, Like just getting it, like if, if they'd let the break come back, then they wouldn't have got a podium. So, yeah, it was better to turn herself inside out and get second than not do anything and argue with Bastianelli and get nothing <laughs> at all, which we've seen a lot of times um, in men's and women's racing. But, yeah, there's been some pretty famous moments over the years, not mentioned Annalisa Longo-Borghini and Kazini Adama um, at Amstel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there were, like... Yeah, they would have got a big result, but the yeah, they just argued with each other too much that they got nothing in the end. Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember that one. That was um that was a face palm sort of moment, wasn't it? Yeah. But yeah, Confalonieri, you could see on her face that she was absolutely dying. And actually, like I would say on paper, she would usually maybe be able to beat Bastianelli or at least have a really good chance of beating Bastianelli in a straight up sprint because she's very fast but yeah interesting to see the effect of the points gathering exercise that's going on this year um and then also another all Italian podium because Vittorio Guazzini of FDJ sprinted to third so we saw some very cold Italians on the podium. It was a very good sprint from her. She's not always been up there in sprints so much. You know, she's a track rider. So it's kind of good to see that she's maybe improving her top end a little bit there. Um, we love her. She, she uh, a, few, a few issues ago on the newsletter, she did a little Q&A for us. So go back and read that. But yeah. I also like it's so funny that like it was an all Italian podium, but like 
completely different to the previous times that the Italians have uh, washed the podium this year. So that's that's positive to see. And um, maybe they're giving the Dutch a run for their money at the moment. Yeah, I was going to say it's a completely ice cold take now, but they are the new Dutch. <laughs> They've been closing in on them the last couple of years. Like the the Dutch, a bit like SD Works, have been like resolutely hanging on to that top spot in the rankings, but the Italians have given them given them a run for their money. Yeah, they really have. Yeah, well, I think it's an interesting one actually. Just to go back to her briefly, because yeah, I don't think she, she's she's still developing. I think into what kind of rider she really is, and she had a bit of a setback after the first Paris Roubaix fan where she crashed and she had, I think it was a broken ankle quite badly broken she was in a cast and then she couldn't start training properly until December and then I suppose she's also trying to balance her track ambitions so it's going to be interesting to see actually how she develops on on the road but she's one of those again Valkar graduates who just are like ridiculously talented so I feel like she's I mean it's probably because she's such a good time trialist but I feel like she's kind of got the um, Ellen Van Dyke's about her um, the yeah she's sort of this super all-rounder kind of rider with like a massive diesel engine um, but yeah it'll be interesting to see how she develops and she gives she gives good interviews so it's nice it's always nice when uh, yeah good interviewees are doing well you can look yeah. forward to the post-race chat yeah yeah, she's really good crack. That's why we love her, for sure. What about the rest of the race, the actual action that went on before we got to to the finale? It was quite eventful. There were a few crashes, some potentially dodgy concussion issues. But Fidanza crashed, didn't she? And she broke her nose. And there was another rider that crashed in that incident that looked to be getting back up to go again but like she had blood down the front of her face and it didn't look like she should be um I think it was yeah, a human powered health rider yeah so it was um Daria Pikulik and Henrietta Gristi of human powered health so Pikulik everyone should remember who won the first stage of Tour Down Under a Polish track rider as well more track riders she was the one with the bloody nose and yeah it looked as if they were trying to it was these two, right? They were trying to swap yeah. helmets. Yeah. Or was, some... Yeah. It, was like, oh, helmets. it didn't look right. Like, no. But I think when you've got blood coming out of your nose, you've definitely taken a big hit to your head. Like, um, And there was sort of what looked like a medical personnel with a stethoscope sort of standing meekly beside them <laughs> and not really seeming to take kind of control of the situation. Um, yeah, I think kind of concussion care has still got a lot of work to do in cycling yeah I think it different races seem to be approaching it or different um team doc not team doctors different race doctors seem to be applying it differently because we saw um at tour down under with James Knox after he eventually got disqualified but he was stopped for a concussion check and that's why he was chasing on behind the cars and so obviously they they were doing something right there, but it just didn't seem like anyone really paid much attention to the fact that Piccolip had clearly taken a hit to her head because her nose was bleeding. But she finished the race. They both finished the race, actually. So 
bonkers. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, Arena Fidanza, who also crashed and hit her face, um, yeah, she she didn't finish because yes, she's got a suspected broken nose. Not sure if that's actually been confirmed, which is a real shame because she'd been doing so well in the last few races. I was gonna say I think uh it's a shame, especially for a team uh like Sarah Tizzet. She has been kind of stand out for them. And they've been another team who had who had a kind of a few departures over the off season um and will be wanting to do well during the spring. So hopefully she'll be back soonish because yeah, she's been going very well. Much better than her old team Jaco have. What have they been doing? Oh, I'm not going to just slag off every team that's not had a good result. That's not my vibe today. And next week, I'll, <laughs> I'll do the list. You've not done well. You've not done well. <laughs> who's in the naughty corner <laughs> and who gets a gold star report card? But yeah, there are definitely some teams that have some uh, uh, progress to make. Even just, you know, you don't have to win a race, but just be visible in the race. Make an impact. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I guess. Yeah, it's earlier. The season is longer. Yeah, we take it <laughs> day by day, huh? <laughs> we see how the next races go also. <laughs> anyway. Um, anything else to say about this? I mean, we also got um we got decent coverage of this one too. Honorable mention to that. Yeah, it's another long kind of broadcast or longish broadcast. It was a couple of hours at least, which is nice. Like you you at least you get to see a bit more of the race breakdown and not just like maybe the one like winning moment, which is basically what we saw at Omloop. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of races that have traditionally not given us the best of uh, live coverage, Strade Bianchi is this weekend. Um, place your bets. How much do we think we're going to get to see this race? Oh man, it's just such a shame, isn't it? Because it's one of the races that you could watch so much of and enjoy so much of it, and you just don't <laughs> like. Yeah, and it, yeah, I think maybe they place too much emphasis on the fact that the finish is really amazing, which it is. And honestly, like the finish of last year was like one of the best bits of racing we saw. But give us some more of those white roads. Like that's what we're all here for. We want to see it. So I am a bit apprehensive. I think my biggest gripe with the sometimes the coverage is the, the lack of motorbikes. And so you only get to see like one or two groups. And I remember, I think it might have been the the last time that Van Vluten won, where she sort of just came up out of nowhere. She was off the back and we were just happily watching this group. And then suddenly out of nowhere, Annemiek Van Vluten was there and it was like, what the heck like there was just no information about where she was on the road and like that would have just added so much to the drama of like the race knowing that she was like coming back um and yeah I don't know uh if well I think both there needs to be longer coverage but also better coverage within that time as well like it's because it's such a good race like it's so exciting and that last year's finish was just incredible chef's kiss yeah yeah, it was. Yeah, it's one of them where it's like, well, if there is a race that you might want to watch from start to finish, so I'm, I think there are not many races that 
you really need to watch from start to finish. But Strade Bianchi is probably one of them that you would sit down and be like, I'm going to watch the entirety of this for these white roads that are like the whole point of the race and the big draw of the race. And you don't really get to see that much of, of it. So I guess we'll see. But yeah, there's not much of a start list at the moment, actually, to be um, talked about. But, but Tilda... Oh, can't catch a break. Going back on the record. Okay. Look. Just going to go bold. I think it will come down to Anamik and Lisa Longaborghini. They'll come into the bottom of the Via San Caterina, is that what it's called? Together. After having attacked. Maybe one person will have gone with them and they've dropped her. Maybe it's going to be Cassia. They'll go into yeah. that together. Cassia's going into this with a bit of a vengeance, say, after yeah. her mechanical omelette, but... Yeah. Sorry, did I cut you off then? What are you giving us? So, yeah, okay. do blow by blow. <laughs> um, Carry on. So, let's think. Um, Elisa will give it beans from the get-go because she thinks she can get a jump on Van Vleuten, but she won't be able to. And Van Vleuten will hold on to her will and coming up towards the top Elisa will fade a little bit Van Vleuten will come round get past her finish line alone start the season with her first win she's wants to go out on a high she's clearly on good form win Strada in the rainbow jersey bosh <laughs> that will happen this is that's so detailed. Considering how much you've been dragged <laughs> for last week, I think, like, honestly, well done for putting your neck on the line again. Yeah, I'm just going all in. Like, you may as well. Like, if you're going to be wrong, you may as well be extremely wrong. <laughs> Who, who's going to be in the breakaway? Um, well, this is harder without the uh, start list, isn't it? <laughs> because I'm just guessing riders. I think Elisa Balsamo um... might go in the in the breakaway. A little bit of it. She's been riding really well in like a team role so far this year and she loves doing that sort of thing DSM they've got a couple of Italians but they're really young so I don't know and what then... about AG because they've got the Mormon Passio Gekia duo yeah. back in action and Maria Benito who... Maria Benito that's a good one yeah she she's loves a breakaway even in her old team last year um so yeah Definitely a name to look out for. My favourite rider, Matilde Batilo, because we have the same name. She's she's <laughs> everywhere. She's not doing a lot, but she is everywhere. <laughs> so, yeah. But trust me, that that is how the race will pan out. <laughs> <laughs> and then Cassie will get third because she loves coming third. Oh, Cassie. If, if I ever have a rider with the same name as me, they'll definitely be my favourite rider. <laughs> but it's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Irish women, get into cycling just so Saif can have this moment. Yeah, just start picking. I'm going to set up my own like team and just start picking people with the same name as me. Just just team people like Saif. <laughs> yeah, I think that would mean I'd probably have to ride, which is probably not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was gonna, I was gonna pick Van Vleuten as well because I feel like she's got, um, yeah, she'll have some fire in her belly after. Miss Mount Valencia and the uh, mechanical at Omloop, but I feel like that's probably 
on original now. So um, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Cassia goes on like a 30k break and takes it. Just just because that's just that. like my dream. Um, whether it'll happen or not, probably not. But I'd like to see her take like a a real big win and maybe do something like she did a um Binder a few years ago and just you know destroy everybody. You'd love to see it, hey? Yeah. It's been it's been a while since she got a big result and she's so she just makes the racing so exciting. She's so aggressive and she doesn't she's not scared to take it on. She's Sometimes it's adapt to the racing. Yeah. You can't yeah. say that she doesn't try, you know. Yeah, for sure. And it's a good finish for her as well, this kind of steep, punchy climb situation. So what yeah, about you, Amy? She... Oh, I hate this. Come on. Um I'm not gonna go I'm not gonna go as detailed as you. <laughs> I'm afraid I haven't come up with a, a blow by blow account of what I think the finish is going to look like but um I do I do agree on um on Anamique and yeah but it's interesting because for once we're almost like rooting like it would be different for Anamique to win at this point in the season it's like usually it's like oh bloody Anamique is going to just run away with it again and actually it's like oh well if she won then it'd be be a change from SD Works at this stage. Um, maybe somebody from FDJ, though, mm. who, after a really good start to the season in Australia, have kind of not really done a whole lot in Europe so far, or even in UAE. They were kind of like, you know, Cavalli had a shocker getting distanced and all of that. So Maybe Grace Brown's going to go for a long-range move. She loves one of those. Um, and, and to be fair, let's not forget about Kopecky. She's yeah. not really someone who, who like stacks wins back-to-back, but she knows how to win this race. She's on good form. I think she's starting. <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised to see her really up there as well. Because, um, you know, she's not someone to give up the chance if she can have a go hey i wonder because we don't have a full start list from sd work i wonder if they'll field cena fry for this the mountain biker mm. but what do we think about that whole thing actually of like oh he or she rides mountain bike or cross so they must be good at strada bianchi i don't know i don't know if it really works like that no it's it's such a thing but I don't really even see the um, like crossover that much. Like if you watch a lot of mountain biking across, and then you watch the gravelly roads of Strada Bianchi, like those two things do not like ring a bell for me. <laughs> I'm not like, oh, this reminds me of mountain biking because it kind of doesn't. And <laughs> they may be slightly better um, handlers of a bike, but they're also used to handling a much different bike. To start. Yeah, so I was going to so. say like the first difference is that there's a big distinction between particularly a mountain bike and a yeah bike, yeah and even a cross bike so and riding in the group is very different as well mm. like seen a few like mountain bike riders struggle with that 
coming over to the road and well not, maybe not necessarily struggle but certainly have it like it's been a steep learning curve for them learning how to ride with like 100 plus other people around them um yeah I think that's often like the biggest challenge I think Keegan Swenson spoke about it last year at the Worlds like he's used to uh, he does gravel riding as well but like he's used to like sort of being out on his own yeah it's a totally different different ball game but they seem to love it they turn up these cross riders and mountain bikers to this race and I don't know if that's the team being like oh yeah you know what you're doing when it's not road so you can go to this but my real prediction is Puck Peters wheelies their way across the line and wins yeah <laughs> that sounds legit that's definitely gonna happen right she's gonna do a pog 50k breakaway why not why not well i guess we'll actually find out for real on saturday looking forward to it it's a, one of my favorite races i feel like that's a really like boring favorite race because it's like everyone's favorite but it is always great even if we don't get to see much of it so yeah any final thoughts on strada bianchi before we tilda's yawning she's obviously over this now it's a lot of races. It is a lot. I think, I think it's just going to be good. Like I, I don't remember a boring edition of Strada Bianchi. Even like Anna van der Breggen's epic solo attack was for me exciting. Yeah, it's yeah, one of those often... races. It's it's one of those races that is just always good. Like yeah, even if I have been known in the past to sleep through it, I must admit. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm what? working. It's always on really early. That's like, and I like sleeping, so I've done that a few times. But I'm working this weekend, so I'm actually going to watch it. Find out what it's all about. What the coverage the is time? meant to start at like, mate. If you're still in bed at eleven, oh no, it's ten thirty for you. I guess it's not that bad <laughs> on a weekend. Not great though. It's not great. <laughs> I reckon not you've got a good as... half an hour of filler as well in that. So I think you've got till ten thirty. No, 11 UK time. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That's that was a big bad old lion. When, when they started it super early. Oh, um, yeah. Broadcast started at 7am. Oh, yeah. Just like yawning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's too early. Those were not good times. Yeah. Journalists are not morning people. No, no. exactly. I try. <laughs> I really do. But anyway... That's a tangent. So let's wrap up this podcast. <laughs> so thanks so much for coming on. We've loved having you. Thank you for having, having me. It's been really fun talking to you both. Yeah. Um, glad you've enjoyed it. Glad it wasn't too bad putting up with our chaos. <laughs> um, but yeah, so don't forget that if you want more where this came from, kind of, then check the show notes for the link to our weekly newsletter. Um, I think that's all we've got to plug. Just look out for that. And we'll be back next week, I hope, maybe. Fingers crossed. We'll be back to talk about Estrada Bianchi and whatever else is going on. But for now, thanks for joining us. Bye. 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 Bye.